You are listening to a New Season Church audio sermon. Prepare your heart to hear a word from God. Well, this morning I'm carrying on with our series called Come and See. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been going over the book of John as part of a series, Come and See. And we've been looking uh, almost like as a survey of the Gospel of John and looking at some major truths that are found in this particular book. And really the main idea, the overarching uh, theme of our series has been the divinity of Jesus. And as I was going through this book and and preparing for this week, I came across chapter 17. And it it forms part of a prayer that that Jesus prayed. And it got me thinking that how often I sometimes have prayer that almost seems like it's just hitting the ceiling. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, that as you're praying, that it seems like your prayers are going everywhere except into God's ears. And a lot of times what happens is we get discouraged and we give up. And that's probably the reason why the prayer meeting is often the lowest attended service of a a church. But what I've come to realize is that prayer, even though there are ways and principles and patterns to prayer and approaching God's throne room, that ultimately prayer is not a pattern or a formula. And so I want to look at this prayer that Jesus prayed, and I want to break it down because I understand and I I sense that there are certain components uh, within our own prayers that we often miss that lead to effective prayer. And so as we look at this prayer of Jesus, that Jesus prayed in John 17, I want to look at and break it down and really examine some of the core uh, components and core truths that He gave in this prayer that might lead us to understand what it is to have effective prayer and really what it is to have a victorious and effective life. So let's get into it. John 17 verse 1 and 2. And it says, John spoke these, uh, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. This prayer is the only long, continuous prayer of Jesus found in the gospel. And the sentences are simple, but the truths behind it and the ideas behind it are deep. They are moving and they are meaningful. Genuine prayer often reveals the innermost parts of a being and it often reveals the motives and the motivations of the person praying. And so the scripture, this uh, scripture, this chapter in John, in the book of John is a unique opportunity to see the nature and the heart of Jesus. And we will see that in this prayer that Jesus touched on many themes that are found in the gospels, uh, glorify, to be sent, to believe, the world, and to love. Yet there's something different about this prayer. Jesus didn't pray just as uh, He told His disciples to pray. I mean, we know the, 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 the prayer that we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. He didn't pray as that. He didn't uh, pray this prayer uh, as one inferior praying to a superior. Throughout this prayer, we see this co-equality that Jesus presents between Himself and the Father. And this prayer, as we get into it, see we see that Jesus didn't pray this prayer as uh, someone trying to bend God's ear to them, but rather He was voicing the purposes of God Himself. 
And this very uh, nature, this very idea spoke of Jesus' understanding of his position as a son of God, which included its privileges, which included its responsibility, and ultimately also included its authority. Jesus' prayer, God, uh, Jesus begins this prayer with the understanding of who he is firstly, which is the son of God. Jesus begins this prayer with an action of lifting up his eyes to heaven, which indicates that Jesus had the approach to this prayer of hope and faith. This was not a prayer of doom and gloom, that this was actually a prayer of confidence and even victory. And he was able to pray this prayer with hope and faith because he understood his position. He understood who he was. And, and in the same way, when we pray, we need to start with understanding of who we are. We need to understand that the, our firstly our position is sons of God. And then Jesus goes to give uh, almost the grounds, the basis of his prayer. And he says, to glorify your son. And if God the Son, if Jesus was giving grounds and reasons for his prayer, then we should uh, pay attention to what those, what those grounds or those reasons or those motives to his prayer was. Christ's motives need to be our motives. And we see right in the beginning of the prayer that Christ's motivation was to glorify God. He says, I'm look up to heaven and I, I want to glorify the Son. I want to glorify God. And that was his motivation. And if we talk about effective prayer, then our motivation has to be for whatever we're asking has to be to glorify God. And really, if we're honest with ourselves, how different is that to our prayers? How often are we asking God for things in our lives for ourselves? If God is asked, if we are asking God for blessing, then let's make sure that that blessing is to glorify Him. If we are asking God to heal us and give our health back, then let's make sure that we spend it on Him. If God is asking us to promote us in a certain area of our lives, let's make sure that that promotion will give us greater ability to glorify Him and affect change in the world around us. We must have the same motivation that Christ had in his prayers. And Jesus showed the motivation behind that prayer. And it was this, that God be glorified, that God be put on display, that God be the main attraction and not just a sideshow. Jesus had the understanding, and this is how he started his prayer. This is the motivation behind his prayer. But in everything that God gives me and everything God grants me, that God be glorified, that he be the main thing, that God be the main attraction, and that he is not just a by the way sideshow. And he goes on in, 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 in his prayer, and we find that in verse 2 and 3, and it says, You have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus gives us the understanding uh, to the purpose of His authority. And it was this, to have eternal life. He said, look, this is the point of my authority. Jesus was given authority and it was to do this, to give eternal life. And He goes on to say, what is eternal life? What is eternal life? He says, eternal life is not the length of time. It is not uh, time never ending. Eternal life is this, that they may know you and the one that you sent. 
that eternal life is based on having an intimate understanding of who God is. That word know in this verse doesn't mean intellectual knowledge. It means intimate understanding of God. The closest comparison to this word is the intimate relationship that a husband and a wife have. And so Jesus is saying, look, you've given me authority so that I can have, so that they may have, that we can have eternal life. And what is eternal life? That we, that they may know you, may know God, that they will understand and have an intimate relationship with Him. Eternal life means that we are alive and active in God's environment. That we are alive and active in God's environment. And God's environment is meant to dominate every aspect of our lives in order for us to experience the abundant Zoe life that Jesus came to give us. And as we're going through Jesus' prayer, it goes in John 17, 6-8, it carries on, it says, I've manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they've known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed you sent me. The first line of this of the scripture says that Jesus said, I have manifested your name to them. The word name refers to the character. So he says, I've manifested, I've I've put on display your character. Jesus lived out the love and the goodness and the righteousness and the grace and the mercy and the holiness of God to them. He literally put it on display. And as believers, we are called to do the same. We are called to put uh, God's character on display for the world. You see, Jesus lived his whole life manifesting that character. And we want to talk about effective prayer. Then the key to effective prayer is to manifest the character of God to the world around us. That prayer and effective prayer is really an outflow of what we are manifesting or what we are putting on display or what we are showing to the world. Manifesting the character of God was how Jesus lived his life. A prayer was not an event for him. Jesus' whole life was a prayer meeting. And as we carry on, we go to verse 8 and 9. It says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And Jesus now specifically turns towards uh, the subject of his prayer, become his disciples. And he says, I do not pray for the world, pray, uh, pray for the world. It's not because he didn't care for the lost, the fallen world. At the end of the day, he was the savior of the world. But he was praying for the instrument he was creating through which he would reach the world. He was praying for the ones that would take this message that he has brought, this message of eternal life, of reconciliation, of, of coming into relationship with God. He was praying for the instruments he was creating. He was praying for the disciples that would carry this message into the world. Jesus was concerned about the mission of the kingdom. Jesus was concerned about the extension of the kingdom. And so instead of just praying for the world in a general sense, he becomes very specific about the, uh, the instruments through which the grace and the mercy and eternal life of God will be brought into the world. And he says, I am glorified in them. 
Jesus is glorified in them. Jesus is glorified in the disciples. And at the end of the day, this is really what it means to be a disciple. This is what it really means to be a believer of Christ. Is that He is glorified in us and through us. That our whole lives are a picture of 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 pointing back to Him. That our whole lives are a picture of Him being glorified. And 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 Paul really understood this. He used things like uh, Christ, the hope of glory in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He talked about that God's work in us moves from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so ultimately, what it means to be a follower of Christ, and ultimately, when we talk about, again, effective prayer and components of effective prayer, is that our lives are constantly manifesting and glorifying Christ. And we move on to uh, verse 11 and it says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may know, be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus didn't pray, keep them through an angel. Jesus didn't pray, keep them through a church leader. He didn't say, keep them through their own effort. He said, keep them through your name. See, Jesus was so concerned about the mission and about the, 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 the idea of the kingdom and the mission of the kingdom, which was to seek and save the lost, that He was specifically praying for the disciples. He was specifically praying for, uh, praying for you and me. He was praying that the, we will be kept through the name of God. That our keeping was so important to him that it would require the whole name, the whole character of God. But he also said this, that the keeping of God and the disciples would not only keep them in him, but it would also keep them together. Jesus prayed that we would be one, that there will be unity amongst us. And, uh, and one after the pattern of unity of God the Father and God the Son. The unity mentioned here is not one of legislation. It is a unity of nature because it is comparable to that of the Son and the Father. The unity Jesus prayed for amongst His people has a pattern. Even as the Father and the Son are yet not the same, we don't expect genuine Christians uh, unity or Christian unity will be uniform or unity of structure. It means that it will be a unity of spirit, a unity of heart, unity of purpose, and unity of destiny. And Jesus now continues his uh, trail of, of prayer and for praying for the disciples. And we pick it up in verse 13. It says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus prayed not only for the keeping of and the unity of His disciples. He was not longing and praying for some good employees that He leaves behind. No, He was very concerned about His disciples and, his, and He is very concerned about you and I. That he says that, look, it's not just about unity, but I want joy to be fulfilled in their life. 
And specifically, Jesus prayed for his own joy to be fulfilled in, 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 in our lives. He didn't just pray for joy. He says, let my joy be fulfilled in their life. And his joy was rooted in unbroken fellowship with God the Father. His joy was the fruit of true faith and confidence in the Father. His joy came from seeing the great things God had done. His joy was never diminished by, by his own sin. His joy was never diminished by deception. And his joy was never diminished by allowing even the smallest foothold of the enemy in his life. The prayer of Jesus cautions us against Christian refuge and isolation. Almost like modern day monasteries. See, our goal is not to be in the is to be in the world, but not to be of it. It is not to be consumed by the things of the world. It's it's like a ship being in the ocean, but the ocean not being in the ship to sink the ship. And he says, "I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one." Jesus definitely wanted us in the world, but did he not want? But he did not want us to take on the characteristics and the uh, the the systems and the way that this world functions. He didn't pray for us to be taken out of the world. See, Jesus didn't pray that we should be taken out of the battle, but that we will be strengthened and protected in it. Jesus was not of the world in His nature. Jesus was not of the world in His office. And Jesus was not of the world in His character. And He's calling us to the same place as Him. His call to His people is for us to be what we really are in Him. And now Jesus carries on in this trail of, of thought in His prayer, of praying for His people. And in verse 22 to 21, He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word, that they all may be one as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that You sent Me. Jesus envisioned a great multitude of believers before the throne of, of God, of every nation, of every background, of every race, class, and social level. Jesus prayed that we might rise above the different backgrounds and understand the, our unity, that we may all be as one. Ultimately, we are all on the same ground at the cross. And the oneness that Jesus had in mind was the unity that comes from the shared life in God the Father and God the Son. As before, Jesus didn't pray for uniformity or institutional unity among His believers, but for unity rooted in love and a shared nature, bringing together many different parts of Jesus' one body. Jesus had in mind the true unity of the Spirit. In verse 23 it says, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. With this one line, Jesus reveals the ultimate motivation, that the world may know you sent me and you have loved them as you have loved me. He reveals the motivation of, this, of his prayer, which is the love of God for the world. And he makes the statement that the world may believe that you sent me. And this is really a remarkable statement. He, because unity and love was so important to Jesus that essentially with the statement, Jesus was giving the world permission to judge the validity of his ministry based on 
the unity of His people. And He goes on to pray in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have gave me may be with me where I am, that they may be they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus said this in connection with the glory of the Father, uh, God the Father gave to Jesus the Son. The glory was given in the context of a love relationship, and a love relationship which was extending before uh, before the world began into eternity past. There was, ultimately, the truth is that there was never a time where God did not love and was not love. And now we come to the point where Jesus is concluding His prayer. And we find that in verse 25 and 26. And it says, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name. And I will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Jesus concludes this prayer and as he's about to really go to the cross and soon endure the excruciating pain of the cross, he cries out and says, Oh righteous Father, we see that Jesus' love and honor for God the Father never diminished. Even in the midst of the cross, he never sensed the absence of God's love. And ultimately, in one sense, the entire work of Jesus could be summed up in this, that He revealed and lived out the character and nature of God the Father to the world. In this concluding portion of the prayer, Jesus prays specifically for love. He could have prayed for anything. He really could have prayed for anything on the face of the world. But He chose to pray for love. He understood that the love of God was the core thing. Jesus received love from God the Father and this love relationship was the strength and the sustenance of His life. And this really speaks to the essential place of love in the Christian life and community. You see, because if we take love out of joy, all we get is pursuit of pleasure and self-indulgence. If we take love out from holiness, all you have is self-righteousness. If you take love out from truth, all you have is bitter orthodoxy. If you take love out from mission, all you have is conquest. And if you take out love from unity, all you have is tyranny. Jesus prayed that we will have the same love that He experienced. And not only that we will have unity, but that we will have the indwelling presence of the Savior through the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so as we've been speaking about the core components of effective prayer, really prayer is not just about patterns and principles and how long you pray and and, and what are the words they use and what are the patterns and the scriptures that you use. Prayer is really about the motivation behind those patterns. And clearly as we've been going through this prayer of Jesus, we see the motivation of Jesus was number one to glorify God. Then the motivation of prayer for Jesus was the mission of the kingdom. And ultimately, that we will experience the love of God. And so when we talk about how do we pray effective prayers, we must understand that everything that we pray for must be to glorify God. It must be to advance the mission. And it must be so that we will experience and the world, world will experience the love of God through us.
And really prayer is a result of a relationship with God. And a relationship with God starts with this. Understanding and knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing that God sent Him. Knowing that Jesus is the divine uh, the divine uh, incarnation of God in human bodily form. And that we accept Him as such. The divinity of Jesus cannot be questioned. And really His divinity is also shown through Him giving us the opportunity to know Him and know God progressively. That we will come to understand and recognize and know the person of God. Really what we're talking about this morning is having a relationship with Him. An intimate knowledge of who He is. And that starts by accepting Jesus as the Son of God and accepting Him as who He is, the divine incarnation of God in bodily form. We trust that this message has blessed you. We would like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. at our Easter's campus.